He lost his life. He gave his life. A Surrey man remembers his friend, a hero who tried to stop the attacks in New Zealand. We have the chance of having a minute or maybe two minutes to actually get down, grab onto a table. The technology to detect earthquakes sooner in B.C. And a driver caught up in an avalanche on Highway 1. You're watching Global B.C. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us tonight. British Columbians in solidarity this weekend with New Zealanders still in shock over the country's terrorist attack that killed 50 people. More than 100 police officers will be on patrol in Christchurch on Monday, the first business day since a gunman opened fire at two mosques during Friday prayers. The world, including Muslims in B.C., feeling compelled to gather and condemn intolerance and hatred. Global's Paul Johnson begins our coverage tonight. The whole religion of Islam comes in moderation. So I in the midst of Sunday's rally in response to the New Zealand massacre, you might say this was where the most important action was. Yeah, I have so many questions. Roy, from a Christian background, in deep conversation with Omar, a Muslim. Why do Muslim women wear hijabs, Roy wondered. What is jihad all about? Omar had plenty of time to explain. I don't think he actually came with a specific question. Uh, it was more on me just to discuss, I think, what I felt was, was the most important thing to know about Islam, and that really is just the belief in the one God. This cross-cultural connection happened as hundreds gathered in front of the Vancouver Art Gallery to condemn hate and intolerance. I, I draw inspiration here. As is typical of events like these, leaders both political and spiritual took their turns. But possibly the most gripping moment was the poem read by Noor Fidel, the B.C. woman assaulted on Skytrain a couple of years ago because of her faith. They are no longer laughing. They are no longer trying. They are no longer here. Then, in what may be a first for this place, the beautiful call to prayer and hundreds in their second prayer of the day. Being raised a Christian, I was told that uh, Muslims are like the scary people. And I realized the only way to overcome fear is to actually just talk to someone and be like, what are you about? What are the chances now that these young men could misunderstand each other, fear each other, or ever hate each other? Paul Johnson, Global News. New Zealand's Prime Minister is saying today the alleged gunman, an Australian, will be tried in New Zealand. He's been charged with murder, and authorities say they believe he was the sole perpetrator. Meantime, we're hearing today from the suspect's relatives for the first time. They expressed absolute shock that Brenton Tarrant is involved. We're all gobsmacked. We don't know what to think. It's, um, you know, the media is saying he's planned it for a long time, so he's obviously not of sound mind, I don't think. His grandmother and uncle telling Australia's Nine Network that he completely changed after he traveled overseas. New Zealand's Prime Minister says the shooter used five guns, including two semi-automatic weapons, and that they were legally acquired. His family says it was a very dark day for them. We say sorry. For all the families over there, for, for the dead and the injured. Yeah, we just can't think nothing else. Just want to go home and hide. Shattered. Yes, yes. shattered. 
is the word. A Surrey man is personally affected by the New Zealand tragedy. He's mourning a former classmate who was killed in the massacre as he tried to stop the carnage. Tanya Beja has that part of the story and more about the victims. He was somebody who is always out there helping out other people. Shokit Khan speaks of the friend who he says was more like a father figure. If we hurt ourselves, he's the first one who will come to your rescue. He'll make, sit in with you, how you feeling, make you feel better. Now Khan says he will remember Naeem Rashid as a hero. The 50-year-old and his son were inside the Christchurch mosque when a gunman opened fire. Witnesses say Rashid rushed to disarm the attacker but was shot and killed along with his son. It's very sad that he had to give his life. Uh, in an attempt to save other people. Rashid was one of the 50 people who died during Friday prayers. The victims also include a high school student, a Syrian refugee, a national athlete and a three-year-old boy. Lots of tears, eh? Just don't know what to do at the moment. As the graves are being prepared, authorities say they're still working to identify the bodies and hope to return them to families by Wednesday. The past 40 hours have been totally traumatic for these families and many of them have not slept. To add to the trauma, they have been unable to bury their loved ones according to the Muslim traditions. Rashid was originally from Pakistan and worked as a teacher in New Zealand. He referenced his Muslim faith on Facebook just a few days before his death, posting this verse from the Quran, Be good to orphans and the needy, speak nicely to people and help the poor. So that tells us what Naim Rashid was and what he stood for and what he gave his life for. A legacy Rashid's friends hope others will carry on. Tanya Beja, Global News. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau visited an Ottawa-area mosque this evening in the wake of the attacks. The Prime Minister's office says he spoke by phone with his New Zealand counterpart, offering condolences, adding that Canada shares their grief and loss, recalling the 2017 Quebec City mosque shooting. Police in Surrey are investigating an apparent daylight shooting. First responders were called to a power substation at 108th Avenue and 141st Street just before 2.30 this afternoon. A witness says a man was found there with severe injuries and emergency health services confirms the patient was rushed to hospital in critical condition. A trail in Hawthorne Park about five blocks away is behind police tape. So far, RCMP are not commenting. And more breaking news tonight. Vancouver police have arrested an 18-year-old man in connection with a homicide on the downtown east side Friday night. At about 9.15, there was a fight near Kiefer and Jackson. 19-year-old Dakota Sky Wildman McNeil was assaulted with a weapon before the suspect ran away. The victim died in hospital. Christopher Aiden Kamach was arrested downtown just after midnight Sunday. He faces a manslaughter charge and remains in custody. The trial for a Washington state truck driver accused in the cold case murders of a Vancouver Island couple has been delayed. 55-year-old William Earl Talbot has pleaded not guilty to aggravated murder charges in the deaths of 18-year-old Tanya Van Kylenborg and 20-year-old Jay Cook. The Sandwich couple was killed on a road trip to Seattle in 1987. Talbot's trial was set to start next month, but a judge has rescheduled it to June 3rd after the defense team requested more time to prepare its case. Police say they used public genealogy websites to identify Talbot as a suspect. 
BC is moving forward on its earthquake early warning system with plans to purchase 25 new sensors. The hybrid devices would add to the existing strong motion sensors but also provide crucial early warning data, which could give residents extra time to escape before the big one hits. Kristen Robinson has more. When a deadly 7.1 magnitude quake struck near Mexico City in 2017, many lives were saved thanks to an early warning system that gave people a few extra seconds to flee when the ground started to shake. Being able to have those sensors spread widely will give us much more uh, chance of being able to respond. Professor Glenn Williams-Jones excited BC now investing in similar technology to give residents a heads up before the big one hits. The transportation ministry looking to expand its network of 140 earthquake sensors with 25 new hybrid sensors that would simultaneously provide strong motion and early warning data. So trying to be able to do the two together at the same time really is important. The new combo sensors would be installed on various bridges in seismic zones. Here's how they would work. Quakes release energy that travels in seismic waves. Primary or P waves move faster than secondary or S waves, which cause destructive ground shakes. Detecting those first P waves lets warning systems send out alerts that S waves are about to strike. We have the chance of having a minute or maybe two minutes to actually get down grab onto a table, uh, get into a safe place for the infrastructure, really where it's important is that possibility to um, you know, stop traffic. Skytrains halted at stations and bay doors of ambulance and fire stations opened up, all possible with integrated early warning. That 90 seconds could mean the difference between life or death. With smartphone science, Williams-Jones believes home earthquake sensors are not far off. It will empower people because I know I can do something. I can protect my family by having something in my own basement. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Air Canada is blaming an airspace closure sparked by ongoing tensions between two nuclear powers for luggage delays faced by travelers on a flight from Vancouver to India. Passengers on flight 44 from YVR experiencing long lines and chaos at the airport in New Delhi. The flight left Vancouver early Thursday, and some travelers say they've been stuck in India for three days waiting for their bags. Air Canada says an ongoing airspace closure over Pakistan means planes have to fly a longer, more fuel-heavy route, restricting the amount of baggage they can safely carry. The company says occasionally this results in some luggage being delayed. Air Canada says it is working to reunite bags with customers, but that this is a situation beyond their control. A dramatic scene on the Trans-Canada Highway today between Revelstoke and Golden after an avalanche came crashing down on the road. A vehicle was caught in the slide when it hit Highway 1, about 46 kilometers east of Revelstoke. A transportation ministry official says no one was hurt, although it's not known how many people were inside that vehicle at the time. The highway was closed for recovery of the vehicle and avalanche control. Miles and I jumped out and we went up to the front or, you know, close by. Miles found out that nobody was injured and, and then I took the photograph. We were relieved that nobody was hurt, but we were worried that another avalanche was going to happen. 
The fight over expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline returns to court tomorrow. A five-day hearing begins at the B.C. Court of Appeal. The B.C. government is asking the court if it has jurisdiction to regulate the transport of oil through its territory, effectively restricting bitumen shipments from Alberta. Both Alberta Premier Rachel Notley and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau have said only Ottawa has the authority to decide what goes in transboundary pipelines. Federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh was officially sworn in as a member of parliament today. Singh can now finally take a seat and go toe-to-toe with the prime minister in the House of Commons when parliament resumes sitting tomorrow. That's something he has not been able to do since taking over the party reins in October 2017. Singh is the first person of color to lead a federal party and won the Burnaby South by-election back in February, taking about 39% of the vote. Welcome back. In the Okanagan this weekend, there's been more slope instability in Summerland. A mudslide came down on Garnett Valley Road yesterday afternoon. It blocked part of the road for a time until road crews were able to clear away the debris. Two slides came down on Highway 97 south of Summerland last month, and that route was closed for weeks. A hiker had to be rescued last night after she fell in icy conditions, landing at the bottom of a waterfall at Kelowna's Canyon Falls Park. The Kelowna Fire Department deployed its technical rope rescue team and, with the help of Central Okanagan Search and Rescue, hauled the woman out of the canyon in a basket stretcher. Search and Rescue estimates the woman fell less than 20 feet, but rescuers had to raise her about 300 feet up the side of the canyon to get her out. Her injuries are said to be non-life-threatening. It could not have been timed any better. The south coast is just beginning a stretch of warm, clear weather just days before spring officially arrives and at the start of spring break for most B.C. families. Grace Key has more. With the warmer weather finally here, desperate sun seekers flock to Kitsilano Beach to soak in some rays. It's beautiful playing beach volleyball in the mountains with the ocean, in the sun, in March. Love my life. It couldn't have come at a better time all across the province. Students are on spring break. So that means families will be looking for something to entertain the kids for the next couple of weeks. We're going to play at the beach. We've got some shovels and buckets uh, to play in the sand. You don't have to have 25 degree weather to play at the beach. It's great that it's warm. We've had some good weather, but it's, it's nice that we can be without jackets. It's just warm out and glorious. Now you're going to just keep going. There's a strong yearning for spring considering our long, cold, snow-filled winter. But it looks like we could be coming from a record-breaking cold February to a record-breaking warm March. We've got a ridge of high pressure that is building in place and temperatures are going to soar over the next few days. The peak of it will likely be from Monday through Wednesday. And across the southern half of the province, we do have the potential to see some record-breaking temperatures as well. At Queen Elizabeth Park, the birds were chirping, the bees were buzzing, the crocuses were in full bloom, and the cameras were out to capture the moment. It's Today, so beautiful. And it's so warm. <laughs> right? So yeah. I was thinking, oh, maybe some of the flowers will come up. <laughs> On the St. Patrick's Day, it took the luck of the Irish for this fabulous day to appear. Um, I love my holidays. She's so. our holly bobs, yeah. So uh, we said we'd bring her here because it's beautiful. With spring just a few days away, it may finally be time to put that winter coat away. Grace Key, Global News. 
Yes, just about everyone was out today, and you were just saying it seems everyone's happier. Very smiley, yes. and it's just it's nice. It's a good. It's They're much whistling. People are whistling as they walk. That Absolutely. sort of thing. Absolutely, yes. Nice. And you just see people out more now, so it's <laughs> nice. We're not hibernating so much. True. Uh, we are tracking the temperatures. Uh, the big weather story. We are seeing the heat today, even 11 in areas away from the water, up to 18 degrees. Now even warmer. Monday, Tuesday being some of the warmest. I'll show you more on those numbers. Interior sections and much of the province. It's going to be a nice clearing on the way so we'll have more on how long it will last and when we'll start to see a bit of a change on the way too. Do you think we might break any records here? Yes, also record-breaking temperatures and I think in the interior it'll be similar so we'll keep a close eye and this will be anywhere from Monday through Wednesday. All right, you'll have more coming up and a big day for Canadian tennis fans. Yeah, historic day really. Biggest win really for a Canadian singles player ever. No Canadians ever won uh, one of the Grand Slams. Wimbledon, French, US Open, Australian Open but there are tournaments that are like the fifth Grand Slam. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is one of them at Indian Wells in Palm Springs. And uh, Bianca Andreescu, who's not even 19, uh, product of Tennis Canada, born in Mississauga, has, been, uh, has Romanian descent and still has a, a lot of fans there. But she's been with Tennis Canada since she was 10, so she is homegrown. There's uh, no doubt about that. And she has just burst onto the scene, and she had an exciting win over another top five player today. So highlights, and we'll hear from Bianca. And she's chased the Canucks off the top story tonight, so good for her. <laughs> awesome. Can't wait to see that. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, Yvonne. Welcome back to the News Hour. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is expected to shuffle his cabinet tomorrow, and it will be the third time this year the PM will do so. Former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould quit cabinet last month, saying she was inappropriately pressured not to lay criminal charges against SNC-Lavalin over its alleged dealings with the Libyan regime. Days later, Jane Philpott resigned as Treasury Board President, saying she had lost confidence in the government over how the issue was handled. This year's federal budget will be tabled on Tuesday. International flights at the country's busiest airport are currently on hold because of a fire. We're talking about Toronto's Pearson Airport. So far, no injuries have been reported after the fire broke out at Terminal 1 tonight. Police say it's been put out, but there is a significant amount of water and smoke in the terminal. Passengers have been evacuated from affected areas and all international and U.S. aircraft are being held at the gates. Passengers are being urged to check flights before arriving at the airport. No word yet on what caused that fire. Data retrieved from the flight recorder of Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302 shows a clear similarity with the disaster in Indonesia. The country's transport minister added the black box has been found in good condition and almost all the data inside has been extracted. 157 people from 35 different countries, including 18 Canadians, were killed when the Nairobi-bound plane crashed shortly after takeoff a week ago. Satellite data showed the movements of the flight were similar to the doomed Lion Air jet, which crashed off Indonesia in October. Meantime, funerals are being held for the victims of last week's disaster, but they're having to bury empty caskets because it will take so long to identify the remains. A Brampton, Ontario family is among those swept up in the grieving process after losing six loved ones in the crash. Jeff Semple reports from Ethiopia. When an Ethiopian Airlines plane shattered into this field last week, 18 passengers from Canada were killed. Nobody's with us anymore. And one-third of those Canadian victims were members of Manant Vidia's family. Vidia first spoke to Global News last week at his home outside of Toronto. His parents, 
sister, and brother-in-law, and their teenage daughters were heading to vacation in Kenya. Vidya's sister wanted to show her girls where she was born. When Vidya heard that all six were killed in a plane crash, he couldn't believe it and had to see it for himself. After a 30-hour journey from Toronto, he and his wife arrived at the crash site. He needed to see it, but couldn't bear to look. There's always a thought behind in the mind, mind going along that maybe they were not in the flight. So there's always like a bit of hope. So, but like coming to this site is getting closure to the fact that uh, they are no longer in this world. So that is really getting difficult for me to accept. Vidya and his wife will head to India tomorrow, and they were hoping to leave here with some of the remains of their loved ones, even an item of clothing, some small piece of their family. I was expecting by myself, I will recognize some stuff when I come on the side. That's the main purpose for me to come over here. But the force of the impact was so terrible that finding and identifying passengers' remains is expected to take many months. At this funeral service for the victims, thousands gathered around empty, symbolic caskets. The airline offered families bags of charred dirt from the crash site so they would have something to bury. Vidya and his wife also walked away with nothing more than a sack of soil. I just took some soil um, that will help for our religious purpose. They played a Hindu prayer for the dead. The body is gone, it says, but the soul remains here, around us. For that reason, Vidya is trying to keep it together. I'm pretty sure that they are watching me right now. So uh, I really want to be strong for, my, for myself and my family. A family left shattered, unsure how to even begin to pick up the pieces. Jeff Semple, Global News, Ajiri, Ethiopia. A tanker truck leaking gasoline caught fire and exploded in Los Angeles today. The blast ripped through storm drains and sent manhole covers flying into the air. Firefighters responding to reports of a gas smell found the tanker fully engulfed and were forced back by the force of the explosion. It took dozens of firefighters nearly two hours to put out the fire in a neighborhood south of downtown L.A. Two people were hurt, one of them seriously. A two-story house was also scorched and a family displaced. The smoldering tank was in a storage yard. It's not known how much gas was inside. In Nebraska tonight, they are bracing for more high water. With record snowfall followed by heavy rain in recent days, rivers are cresting. The flood could impact 11 million Americans from Nebraska through other parts of the Midwest and down the Mississippi Valley to the south. The floodwaters have now cut off Fremont, Nebraska. Those who haven't left, stranded. The only way in is by helicopter or small plane. We can't get in and out. And I, I, I want to go be with my kids and my husband. Heavy rain, snow melt, and ice jams creating dangerous floodwaters across the Midwest. Breaching levees, submerging neighborhoods, and stranding homeowners and livestock. We got pictures of uh, the horses uh, in waist-deep water. It's really cold water. Thousands of people forced out. 
many now in shelters indefinitely. It looks like an ocean everywhere. Nebraska's governor declared states of emergency in dozens of counties and tribal lands, describing the damage as unbelievable devastation. In Nebraska, the 90-year-old Spencer Dam was destroyed, sending floodwaters into nearby towns. With some bridges washed away, emergency responders went in on boats to help. Oh my goodness, here's our entrance, Paradise Lakes. Insane. The rising waters are blamed for at least two deaths in Nebraska and one in Iowa. A farmer killed trying to save a trapped motorist. Another person refused to evacuate. And a driver died after going around a barricade. Several communities in Wisconsin and Minnesota also dealing with flood emergencies. The Missouri River overflowing to record levels as residents downstream fear the threat isn't over. And devastating scenes in parts of Michigan, which is also recovering from a tornado last week. The powerful storm nearly flattening homes. In one instance, an 86-year-old woman was trapped in her home for nearly 24 hours. The Red Cross is now offering its services to those affected by the storm. Could there soon be one more candidate officially declaring a presidential run? Former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden teased an audience with that idea after a slip of the tongue. I'm told I get criticized by the new left. I have the most progressive record of anybody running for the United anybody who would run. Biden was speaking at a Democrat fundraiser in his home state of Delaware, adding later, quote, I didn't mean it. Biden has been known to go off script. It was cleanup day in the heart of Paris after rioting Yellow Vest protesters brawled with police and ransacked shops. The demonstrators sought to revive their movement Saturday by marking the end of a two-month-long national debate called by President Emmanuel Macron. Protesters say the debate failed to answer their demands for economic justice. Government figures suggest 32,000 Yellow Vest protesters demonstrated nationwide yesterday, including about 10,000 in Paris. A town in Austria claims to have set a new world record for largest bonfire. People in Lostenau say they beat the old record held by a town in Norway. It took three months to build the 60-meter structure, which burned down and collapsed in less than half an hour. Environmentalists are not happy, saying the stunt released a, quote, huge amount of harmful particles into the air. And happy St. Patrick's Day. Let's check in with meteorologist Yvonne Shell now. A lot of people out at the beach today or perhaps skiing on the North Shore Mountains. A beautiful day to do that. Absolutely. And a few celebrating on patios, I'm sure, today. It's <laughs> just a perfect day today. We had more sunshine in comparison to yesterday. Here's a shot of the lines this evening. And out of the airport, uh, we're just seeing a few clouds. Temperatures are in the double digits at 11 degrees with the northwesterly wind at 17 kilometers per hour. And a few other spots across the province. Fantastic. in the interior sections also seeing more sun than cloud in comparison to yesterday and this was a great shot uh, Sandra sent in from Kelowna today temperatures areas away from the water bumped up to 18 degrees that was in the Fraser Valley 11 today by the airport 10 is the average for this time of the year but not quite record breaking but we will see the potential and this takes us Monday Tuesday Wednesday right across the southern half of the province for some new temperature records 11 right now for areas near Williams Lake the peace sitting at 9 degrees along the coast for Prince Rupert at 14 
in areas near Nelson with the single digits at 8. The one blip in the forecast that we're still tracking is along the north coast. Isolated showers still for the evening and then a clearing and break is on the way. Central and southern half we can see from the satellite a nice a break. Here's the moisture that is going to ease off and then across the province the main feature that we're following is a ridge of high pressure. It is going to build very strong and the peak of it across the south coast will be for a Monday, Tuesday. So those are some of the warmer temperatures and areas away from the water could get into the low 20s. The peak of the temperatures or some of the warmer days for the interior regions will be Thursday, Friday and across the south coast we'll start to track a change on the way on Thursday with a bit more cloud cover. So range and temperatures uh, by the water will be into the mid or upper teens for most areas for the beginning of our work week or for spring break for some and then it's on our Thursday, Friday that we'll see more cloud cover and the chance to return for some showers if you're making plans for spring break. The piece tomorrow, 15 degrees, southwesterly winds up to 20 kilometers per hour. Whitehorse at 11, a gusty day tomorrow with up to 60, a southerly wind along the north coast. So a break for the moisture tomorrow, but it'll still be quite windy, especially through the mainland inlets and valleys. A chance of showers returning late on Wednesday. Caribou and central interior with the clear skies overnight, the wind chill at minus seven. For the Columbian Kootenai region, the wind chill overnight will be at minus six and then rebounding to 14 through the day tomorrow. Thompson Okanagan, double digits, 13 for both Tuesday and Wednesday, above the average that sits at 10. And Whistler, a few morning fog patches, afternoon sunshine, and a range in temperatures between 14. Pemberton will be closer to 17 or up to 19 degrees. Along the island, by the water, 15. Inland will be up to 18, potentially 20 on your Tuesday Wednesday. Fantastic. Our five-day forecast will see that range once again. Mid-teens for most areas, areas away from the water could get up to 22 for tomorrow. This continues for our first day of spring and then a change late day Thursday. Friday, we could see the return for showers. And we'll leave you this with this great shot with our weather window this evening. Sent in from Carol from Kalamalka Rail Trail. Jordan? Stunning. Thank you, Yvonne. A California homeowner is in hot water for a Flintstones display outside her home that was built more than 40 years ago. Florence Fang owns the Flintstone house. It was built back in 1976 and was modeled after the TV series, but the town of Hillsborough is suing her. According to the lawsuit, the home has become an eyesore and she was asked to take down the statue of Fred Flintstone as well as the Yabba Dabba Doo sign. The home has become a tourist destination for many people visiting that area. A new event that launched in Vancouver today is empowering more girls to get on the ice and compete in Canada's game. The first ever Scotiabank Girls Hockey Fest offering free hockey clinics at the Doug Mitchell Thunderbird Sports Centre. Hosted by Canadian hockey player Natalie Spooner, the event aims to inspire a new generation of female hockey stars to dream big on and off the ice. Local female hockey players spent today serving up training tips and advice on top of motivational coaching. Sport brings so much to someone's life and for me, I mean it taught me all about teamwork, hard work, um, you know, but also being a strong female and being confident um, off the ice. So hopefully if these girls can learn some of that today, then, um, you know, they've got a bright future ahead of them. Love it. Uh, yeah, excellent. And a Canadian kid turning heads in the tennis world today. Yes, speaking of girl power, this, yes. is, uh, this is in spades here. Thanks very much, Jordan. Uh, no Canadian man or woman has ever won a tennis Grand Slam singles title, but today in Palm Springs, 18-year-old Bianca Andreescu of Mississauga, Ontario, did the next best thing, winning one of the most prestigious titles in tennis 
The Indian Wells Masters and Rescue's rapid rise has been a true fairy tale. Just a few months ago, she was ranked 152nd in the world. After this win today, she's number 24 and has served notice she has the potential for greatness that we have never seen in Canadian tennis. Andrieski got into this tournament as a wild card entry because organizers felt she could do something special. Well, that was a good hunch. Opening game, the 18-year-old goes to work right away, showing the uh, drop shot. That's become one of her signature shots over this great run. Breaks Kerber in the first to set the tone. But uh, don't be fooled. Andreescu's game is based on power. She can belt with the best of them. Puts away the opening set 6-4. What a start for Bianca, who's had huge support from all the Canadians down in Palm Springs the past couple of weeks. But Angelique Kerber has won three majors, including Wimbledon last July, and she did not go quietly. Chases down the drop shot this time. Broke serve, took the second set, 6-3. Third set, Kerber broke Andreescu to go up 3-2, but Bianca has such great fight. Breaks right back, hammering the inside-out forehand winner there, and it's 3-all. That helped energize Bianca even more, who was starting to feel quite exhausted. A hot day, lots of tennis packed into the past 10 days, but she fires another forehand winner, goes up four games to three, and she will keep the pedal down. Loads up another forehand and pounds the winner down the line, went up 5-3. Kerber, though, broke back, saved a few match points. Bianca getting some Treatment for cramps on the changeover, a physical toll, but grinding through it and just refused to give in. Puts everything into it, just crushes this forehand winner to set up her fourth match point. And this time, it is her time. Kerber will net the forehand, and that is it. Bianca Andreescu with an incredible win. She cannot believe it. Takes out the world number four, Angelique Kerber, in three tough sets. The first WTA top-tier win for Bianca, and it's considered the fifth major. She's the Indian Wells champ and now moves up to number 24 in the world. And afterwards, she thanked the two nations that have supported her. To everyone in Canada, thank you all for your support. She's great, and she's got a lot of spirit, too. It's going to be fun to watch her the next while. The uh, Canucks have 11 games left to go. Honestly, the best thing for the future of this team, go 0-11 and get themselves a top-four pick in the NHL entry draft in Vancouver this June. If you're going to miss the playoffs, miss big. But... They don't play to lose, and tonight the Canucks were looking to put a crimp in the Dallas Stars' plans of making the playoffs. Canucks' season has kind of gone to the dogs. Ceremonial puck drop from a member of the Dallas Canine Police Force. Tim Schaller's had a dog season, too, but that changes in the opening minutes. Steals the puck. That's his first goal as a Canuck. Healthy scratch over 25 times this season, one nothing Vancouver. Obviously, it did something for his confidence because moments later, Elias Pettersson with the feed, Schaller looking like Brock Besser, hammers in his second of the period. There is no stopping him now, 2-0. Pettersson's 60th point ties him with Pavel Bure and Ivan Holinka for most points in a season by a Canuck rookie. Then Pettersson held on a potential breakaway, awarded a penalty shot, but on the penalty shot, poke checked by Anton Kudobin, who threw his stick. That should be an awarded goal by rule. 
Incredibly, the officials let the play stand. It was not reviewed. I don't know if it can be reviewed. It should. That should not happen in the NHL with their uh, replay technology. Very late second, Tyler Mott doesn't get it deep, and it's costly. Jamie Benn fires the screenshot past Markstrom. Travis Green not happy with Mott's decision there. Now the Stars have life. It's day 2-1, under four minutes to go. This just happened a few moments ago. Taylor Fadunu did play one game as a Canuck back in the day, scores the tying goal. They're very late in the third, tied 2-2. We'll update you tonight at 11. Also tonight, Minnesota Wild. Two points behind Arizona for the final wildcard spot, hosting the Islanders. Second period, Wild down a goal, but Zach Parisi, check out that play. Behind the skate, his 25th ties it at one, would go to overtime, and Coquitlam's Matt Barzell with a crafty play, setting up Brock Nelson for the winner. Islanders take it 3-2, but with the loser point, the Wild get up to 77 points, just one behind Arizona, and that last playoff spot. Avalanche and Devils, Colorado 6 out of a playoff spot when the day began. No score in the second until Tyson Berry gives the Avs the lead, firing past Corey Schneider. And then later in the second, it's Berry again, this time the beneficiary of a fortunate bounce or two. It's off two devil skates, one there and one there and in. That's the kind of year it's been for Corey Schneider. Avalanche will take it. They win it 3-0 in their four points back. Welcome back. Alfonso Davies will be returning to Vancouver this week, joining the men's national team when they face French Guiana next Sunday in a CONCACAF Nations League qualifier at BC Place. And if he wasn't pumped up, uh, pumped up enough about coming home, he certainly is now after what happened today in Germany. Today, the Wunderkind scored his first goal with Bayern Munich. Davies came in as a second-half sub at left back, and he will pot the rebound. His 18th, or he's just at 18 years of old, he is the youngest player ever to score for Bayern in 20 years. Davies had been demoted to the development team for a few weeks, but this has to help the young man's confidence. Bayern wins it 6-0. Davies with the all-important sixth goal. That's not the important thing. The key is he's uh, got himself on the score sheet, hopefully the first of many for Alfonso Davies. EPL Sunday, Fulham hosting Liverpool. Fulham second last. They'll be uh, relegated at season's end. Liverpool, of course, battling Man City for first overall. They were up 1-0, but then disaster. Virgil van Dijk and the uh, Liverpool keeper, Allison get their signals crossed. Ryan Babel scores to tie it. But in the 80th, Mo Salah's shot is stopped. Keeper Sergio Rico takes down Mane, and that is a PK. So James Milner is going to get the call, steps up and buries it. Milner rescues all three points. Liverpool leapfrog over Man City into top spot, but City does have a game in hand to win the final. Final round of the Players' Championship from Florida, the famed 17th at TPC Sawgrass. We saw plenty of drama at that hole today. Englishman Eddie Pepperell, eight shots back when the day began, but he got to within one of the lead, and then at 17, this nearly impossible snake putt goes down for birdie. He shot 66, and he got to 14 under par, which was tied for the lead. Meanwhile, Jonathan Vegas, also on 17, he is 70 feet away. And would you believe it happens again? These are one out of a hundred putts, even for these guys. And we see two within the same hour. Vegas also posts minus 14. Another great storyline. 48-year-old Jim Furyk got into the field thanks to a ninth-place finish at the Honda last week. Furyk in contention at 18, sticks his approach to three feet, would make the birdie. And he took the lead at 15 under trying to become the oldest player ever to win the tournament. And you see Jim's pretty emotional about being in, in contention at this uh, age, but plenty of young bucks chasing him down, including 29-year-old Rory McIlroy, who ties Furyk for the lead with that birdie at 15. And then at 16, 
after bombing his drive 347 yards. Rory with a nine iron in on the par five, got it to 20 feet. He would make a two putt birdie. So now McElroy has a one shot lead on Furick and he would hold that the rest of the way. Taps in at 18 for the victory. Rory McElroy wins the Players' Championship, which is like the fifth major. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor had a great Sunday, 5 under 67 to finish tied for 16th and a paycheck of 192000 Tiger Woods tied for 30th. NBA Today, Raptors and Pistons, possible first-round playoff matchup. Fred Van Vliet back in after missing a month with a thumb injury at 17 points, including that three-pointer to get the Raps within two. But Detroit has had the Raptors' number this season. Blake Griffin... With the basket there, and the Pistons sweep the three-game series versus Toronto, 110-107 the final today. World Curling Championship from Denmark, Canada's Chelsea Carey of Calgary, bouncing back nicely from the opening day loss to Korea. They beat Germany 8-5 earlier today, and then had a tough game against Latvia, but in the ninth, Carey with the draw for two. That was the difference as Canada wins 8-7. They improve to 2-1 and one at the Women's Worlds. And last night, little... Fans celebrating St. Patrick's Day a day early at the Vancouver Warriors game against New England Black Wolves. Tyler Codron finishes off the pass play there to tie it up. 6-6 at halftime. This was a close game all night. Mitch Jones, a spectacular wraparound goal. One of his four on the night. Fourth quarter, Warriors up two, and they will salt it away with an empty netter from Justin Salt. They improved to 4-8, and eight, tied with Colorado for the final playoff spot in the West, and those two teams play a crucial home-and-home home series next weekend starting Friday in Vancouver. So the Warriors starting to play their best lacrosse at the right time. Which is Landmarks around the globe going green for St. Patrick's Day. You might recognize the Colosseum in Rome and the Eiffel Tower in Paris there. Canada also getting in on the action with Toronto's CN Tower turning green last night. Nashville's Bridgestone Arena also looking good in green. And it is truly an international effort. Prague's Dancing House and Victoria Falls in Zambia also going green for the Feast of St. Patrick. And the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge kicking off St. Patty's Day celebrations in London by observing a parade of the 1st Battalion Irish Guard. Will and Kate greeted by an Irish wolfhound presented shamrocks to officers. The couple later met members of the Guard at an informal lunch. Both royals indulging in a traditional pint of Guinness. And last year, Kate was pregnant at this time, so she had to have water. Mm. So hopefully she had uh, two pints of Guinness this year. Yeah. Quest, or yeah. Quench her thirst. Quench her thirst. Quench her thirst. Yeah, it's like a meal, though, isn't it? Guinness yeah. is. <laughs> all right, that's all the time we have. Thanks for watching. Hope to see you at 11. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.